to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. Dating, getting married, and staying married are some of the most difficult seasons in life, but is that because we've gotten it all wrong? This message is from part four of our series, Keep Calm and Stay Married, where we are learning how to unshackle the old ball and chain so we can keep calm and stay married. And now here's our lead pastor, Travis Davenport. Maybe it will work like this. Maybe it would work better like this. Is the person next to you worthy of God's faithfulness? Yes or no? Somebody said yes. <laughs> no, they're not. No, no, it's okay. Some of y'all are sitting next to your wife. You're trying to get brownie points. I'm just telling you, you're, you're a liar. All right. <laughs> now, one of the interesting things about God's faithfulness is that he, he, he sets up the institution of marriage as a, as a picture, Right? as a picture of, of, of his faithfulness towards us, a husband, a wife, and, any, and marriage is supposed to be this picture of God's faithfulness. Um, like I said, a husband, a wife, married, connecting, becoming one, walking with each other for life, uh, faithfulness to one another, loving one another. This is God's faithfulness on display. We've seen time and time again throughout Scripture that, that, uh, that Jesus Christ is compared to the bridegroom and the church, which is us as followers, we're, we're compared to the bride. And so marriage is a picture of God's faithfulness. This is why we say that marriage is not contractual, but marriage is covenantal. Marriage is not a certificate that is signed. Marriage is a covenant that is entered into, an agreement before God that is entered into. It's made before God. And God is the one who created this covenant of marriage, not man. And, and so just a side note, we can... You can deliberate and, and legislate and talk all you want about what marriage is and how to redefine it and, and all those types of things. But I just want you to know that God is the one who created it. God is the one who defines it, okay? And so God defines what marriage is. And the way that God has defined it is that a husband and a wife are to be faithful to one another. And the marriage, that this is marriage, and this is a picture of God... Uh, loving his people now here's a question did god make a mistake here and let's just can i can i just is that okay is that irreverent to ask that in church i think that's probably the irreverent question right but really i wonder sometimes did god make a mistake here in choosing flawed individuals to to relay a uh, choosing maybe the better word is choosing fallible individuals to relay an infallible truth he chooses marriage to be a picture of his faithfulness, and yet we can't stay faithful to each other. How is marriage to be a picture of God and his church and God's faithfulness if we can't stay faithful to one another? And I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm faithful to my wife. I've never stepped out on her. I've never, I've never cheated on her. I've never been unfaithful. And I would say maybe you've never been unfaithful sexually to your wife. But statistically, I know the statistics don't apply to us as a church. I know that, like, this is for other people, other churches, like, other people that aren't here. I know, we're, this isn't us. But I'm just saying, right? In and outside of the church, roughly 80% of all men in America view pornography once a month. Once a month. That's being unfaithful. Some of you are unfaithful to your wife daily. Some of you in this room are unfaithful to your wife daily, and maybe you've never stepped out on your relationship and, 
and uh, had an affair to that degree that, that, that would be calculated with another individual physically, but that is being unfaithful. And, and wives, maybe you haven't stepped out on your husband sexually, and, and maybe you're not involved in viewing pornography, although that is, in the ri- is on the rise with women in America as well, but, but have you been emotionally unfaithful to your husband? Have you been physically unfaithful? Have you been physically abstaining from him for one reason or another, being unfaithful towards him? Do you see what I'm saying? Yes? Are you with me? Are you there, church? Can you smile? Can you give me a nice little smile? There you go. You just look so good when you smile. It just makes me feel warm. I appreciate that. So why does God choose us to convey this truth? I mean, the truth is, when it comes down to it, we are all unfaithful to each other. Not just once, not just twice, but time and time and time and time again. So once again, did God make a mistake here? Why does he set up marriage to be a picture of his flawless faithful, faithfulness towards us, even though we are flawed? Well, I'll tell you why. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Point number one. Marriage is not only a picture of God's faithfulness to us, it's also a picture of God's forgiveness for us. Amen? Marriage is not only a picture of God's faithfulness to us, it's also a picture of God's forgiveness for us. And listen, God understands that forgiveness fuels faithfulness. Forgiveness fuels faithfulness. And so he sets up marriage to be a picture, not only of his faithfulness to us, but also his forgiveness for us. But we have Great difficulty understanding forgiveness, don't we? I mean, when it comes down to it, forgiveness is something that we really have a difficult time with. I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, um, I walked downstairs, and uh, my son, Noah, and Stella were downstairs in their little play area, and I turned the corner. I heard Stella, you know, her little yelp, you know, that she has when, when she's being hurt or aggravated or something, and, and so her seven-year-old brother had her in a headlock, <laughs> like literally just a full-on headlock, you know, and he had a toy that was her toy, and he had it stretched all the way over here, so here's the headlock, here's the toy, and he's like, yeah, yeah, try and get it, try and get it, yeah, yeah, right, head down, no idea his, no idea his dad is standing literally three feet from him like this, and I went, <clears throat> and no one went, like, that was the move, just this, just this really fast move, like, I'm not doing anything, right? And Stella's like, oh, you know, she's crying, and, and I'm like, Noah, we do not treat ladies like that, you know, and, and he was disciplined, and, and one of the things that I said was, I need you to go, and I need you to tell her that you're sorry, and apologize, so he walks over, and he's like, sorry, and she looks at him, she's like, I forgive you, like that, right? And walks away. Cut to two minutes later, I hear a yelp from Noah. And I walk in there, and there's Stella just kicking him in the shins. I'm serious, true story. Just kicking him. And he's like, no, Dad. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, he was holding this toy from me. I was just getting him back. And I'm like, you forgave him. And she's like, yeah, but I still got to hurt him. And that moment I realized that is how women forgive. That is exactly. I forgave you, but you still got to hurt, man, right? (laughs) We have an inherent misunderstanding, or maybe just my children, I don't know, maybe just the Davenport household. We have an inherent misunderstanding of what forgiveness is and and what it looks like to 
Forgive. I want to show you what forgiveness looks like through a passage that we read earlier. Look at what God's forgiveness looks like. Ephesians 1, once again, starting in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. And here it is. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. See, oftentimes, our default position as strugglers, as as people who sin, is, is to believe that God is disappointed and frustrated with us. You ever feel like that? Have you ever been made to feel that way? That God is angry with you? That God is frustrated with you? That, that God is, is uh, disgusted with you and with your sin? And I'm, I'm talking about the sin that no one knows about. You know what I'm saying? The sin that even you try to keep a little hidden from, even yourself, if you're honest, and because you don't like to think about yourself and, and that you're capable of such things or thinking about such things or going to such places or doing such things. So you even try to keep it, just you, you, you shove it down and you push it back because in the back of your mind, you truly believe that even God is a little disgusted with you. And that's our default position. We, we oftentimes, I think that we think that God is simply tolerating us Right? But Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, no, 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 no. Before the very foundation of the earth was laid, God was going to adopt you. God was going to adopt us and make us holy and blameless in his spirit. So whether difficult days or good days, God's at work. God has not abandoned you. God is not mad at you. He's forgiven you. How amazing does that make our God? How amazing does it make our God that before we even committed a sin, He decided He was going to love us and forgive us of our sins. How amazing does that make our God? God is truly amazing. That in our unfaithfulness towards Him, He is long-suffering with us. In our inability to live out all that He has called us to, He continues to lavish upon us His grace. Look at the Scripture one more time, verse 7. In Him, now listen to this. Listen to these words. In him, being God, we have redemption through his blood, being Christ rather. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in wisdom and insight. You've got to love that word lavish. That's not really like common English today, right? What this means is it's, it's extravagant. That, that God's love for us, that God's grace, his, his forgiveness in grace is over the top for us. His forgiveness is, is out of control. It's kind of like somebody needs to tell God, like, hey, slow down the forgiveness machine, God. This is out of control. You're just forgiving everybody for everything. It's crazy. And God's like, yeah, I'm lavishing my forgiveness over the world. God so lavishes himself over us. Man. And so when the Bible's talking about forgiveness, it's saying that his grace and forgiveness is lavished. It's extravagant. It's over the top. A proper understanding of God's forgiveness 
means that God does not regret saving you. Now, some of you need to hear that this morning. God does not regret saving you. God has never regretted saving you, ever. He's never thought, man, really made a mistake with that one. I uh, saved them, and gosh, I probably shouldn't have done that. They're disgusting. Look at what they're doing down there. God has never done that. God has never done that. Even when you're struggling, he doesn't regret it. Here's, here's the reason. Your sin has never surprised God. I think sometimes we're like, oh, man, I, I don't even know if God can forgive me. Yeah, you didn't surprise God. God knew that you were going to do what you did long before you even existed. And yet he still chose to love you. He still chose to choose you. He still chose to make a way for you to be forgiven. How amazing is our God? I'm just going to keep asking you that till you wake up this morning. How amazing is our God? Don't clap now, you don't mean it. <laughs> this means, <laughs> this means you have no sin. No sin. Past, present, and future that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. None. It's not like Jesus came and saved you from your past sin, and then said, well, good luck now with your present sin and your future sin. I hate you because you messed up. No, what? That doesn't make sense. In Christ, in Christ alone, do we have the power to conquer sin. It's, it's with Christ. And he's the one who carries our burden. This means that our salvation, this is important for some of you, especially theologically, in your understanding of salvation. This means that salvation wasn't just a past event alone. Salvation was, wasn't just a past event alone, but that Christ even now is continuing to save you. That's what salvation is. You have been saved, you are being saved, and someday in heaven you will be saved. That's what salvation is. And the moment that you accept Christ, the moment that you submit and surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he offers you this forgiveness. And when you receive this forgiveness on your life, you receive this salvation which is saving your past your 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 present and your future man I, I just i have a hard time talking to people that say you don't understand you don't know what i struggle with you don't know how deplorable it is and, and i understand it's that's a tough place to be in that is and we all have things in our life that we're ashamed of i think if we're honest right we all have things but when you say, I wonder if God loves me, I wonder if God is disgusted by me, I wonder if God really regrets saving me, I would have to say that, well, it doesn't matter what I say, it just matters that what Jesus says. And Jesus would say, I paid that bill in full. And so what you're saying is nonsense. And that is the grace with which he lavished on us in his forgiveness. And in our marriages, here's the point, our marriages are to not only be a picture, are to not only be a picture of, of this faithfulness that God shows, but also this lavished forgiveness. Ouch. <laughs> right? We, we just talked about this un incredible faithfulness and forgiveness of God. And how it just doesn't make sense, how it's out of control, how it's extravagant. And yet it is the picture of what our marriages are supposed to look like. We're to lavish forgiveness on one another. In our marriages, 
Are we forgiving? Or do we hold back forgiveness? If Jesus Christ can forgive you for the major infractions that you have done towards him, how can you even begin to hold unforgiveness for your spouse? And yet we do it. And yet we do it. I want to show you what Jesus has to say about it. Look over to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. You can open up your Bibles. You can look on the screen. You can uh, turn on your app, or you can just have it memorized like me. That's why. Matthew 18, 23 through 34. I'm just kidding. I don't have it memorized. All right. Matthew 18, 23. Listen to what Jesus has to say about this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's a lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Seems fair. <laughs> Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not very much money, and seized him. He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked Wicked servant. You wicked, wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. When we read this text, we should be convicted to our very core. Shouldn't we? How many of us Hold unforgiveness towards our spouse. Hold unforgiveness towards anyone, for that matter. And yet, we freely receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Oh, we have no problem asking for forgiveness for our sin. We have no problem lifting up our hands and singing about the great forgiveness of God. But when it comes to us forgiving someone else, shoot, man, forget it. I ain't doing that. You wronged me. No, you, you deserve how I'm going to treat you. I'm not going to forgive you. Why should I forgive you? We say the word sometimes, even. And this is, this is the other part. Sometimes I feel like we play like we forgive somebody, but we don't really forgive them. You know what I'm talking about? And if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're a man, you've had it happen to you. Um, it's okay. It's like, I like the subtle laughs. Like, uh, can I laugh? She's right next to me. Right? I like that. Uh, not you, honey. Um, somebody, will do, somebody will wrong us and like, hey man, I'm sorry. You're like, oh no, man, it's, it's all good. I forgive you. But we really haven't forgiven them, have we? Because we think about in our mind how we're going to get back at them or what we're going to do to make them pay for what they did, right? I just want you to know that's not forgiveness. That's, that's not forgiveness. I'll tell you why. Forgiveness is not a word. Forgiveness is an action. Forgiveness is not a word. Forgiveness is an action. Maybe it could be better said like this. Forgiveness is not just something you say. Forgiveness is something you live out. Turn to your neighbor and say, forgiveness is not a word. Now look at your other neighbor who you refused to look at the first time. Look at them. 
Say forgiveness is an action. And here's the point, church. Just as Jesus demonstrated his love towards us by laying down his life, he was also demonstrating forgiveness for us if we would believe in him. Too many of you in your marriages today, and here's where we're going to kind of get into the thick of it with marriage. Here's how it applies. Too many of us in our marriages today, you're waiting for your spouse to say, I'm sorry. Well, I would, I would apologize. I, I would forgive him, but he won't say he's sorry. Right? Well, maybe he doesn't know he's supposed to say he's sorry. Or maybe she doesn't know that she's supposed to apologize to you. Well, I forgive him if, if, I, if he would apologize. No, no, no. Marriage, and here's the difference now. Don't miss this. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And it means this. Did Jesus wait for you to tell him that you were sorry until he laid down his life to die for you? Did, did, did you walk up to Jesus and say, you know what? I believe that you're the Son of God. I'm going to give you my life. Thank you. Now I'm going to enact salvation for the entire world because you apologized. No! Jesus first loved us. Amen? Jesus first laid down his life. Jesus first forgave us. What do you mean? Everyone's forgiven? No, 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 no. Everybody has the opportunity to be forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's them going to Jesus and recognizing that, and instantly forgiveness is given. You don't have to wait around on forgiveness from Jesus Christ. It's instant because he's already paid the cost. You get that, right? And yet in our marriages today, we're just we're waiting around. We're waiting around for some. Well, I would apologize to him, but I mean, I would, I, would, I would forgive them, but they haven't apologized to me yet, so that's on them. That's on them. You know, we've justified that. That's on them. As soon as they say they're sorry, I'll forgive them. But until then, I'm just going to hold on to this anger. I'm going to hold on to this bitterness. No, 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 no. no. As a husband and a wife, your job is to be faithful to the other one, even if they are not. And your job is to forgive the other one, even before they apologize. You, you hear that? <laughs> You're to forgive them even before they apologize. And even if they never apologize. That's what you signed up for when you got married. And you're like, no, I didn't. <laughs> yes, you did. That's what love is. And if you're going to enter into the covenantal relationship of marriage before a holy God, and you're going to say, I love you, I, I give my love to you from now until death do us part, and you say that you love them, then this is what it means to love. Have you forgotten 1 Corinthians where it says love is patient? Love is kind? Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You're to believe the best about your spouse. And the only way that you can continue to live in this state is through forgiveness. Forgiveness. And I'll tell you this, if you are unforgiving, it will lead you to be unfaithful. If forgiveness fuels faithfulness, if you are unforgiving, it will lead you to be unfaithful. And maybe you won't step out on your partner, but you will be unfaithful in some area. Mark my words. You will be unfaithful emotionally, you'll be unfaithful mentally unfaithful in your thoughts towards them, but you will be unfaithful because unforgiveness brings 
unfaithfulness. Unforgiveness brings unfaithfulness. One of the reasons I can say this, one of the reasons I can say it with authority, is because unforgiveness evolves. You realize that, right? It's not like you just hold unforgiveness in your heart and it just stays there. Unforgiveness, like I'm mad, I'm, 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 you know, I haven't forgiven them. It's not just like it just stays there. No, it evolves. Let me explain the evolutionary process of unforgiveness. Because when you refuse to forgive your spouse, especially in the context of marriage, that's what we're talking about today. When you refuse to forgive your spouse, you are choosing to hold on to stuff that evolves into poison. Right? Some of y'all have been there before. Some of y'all are there right now. There's poison in your relationship. There's poison in your marriage. The problem is it doesn't just poison you. It poisons them. It poisons your children. It poisons your friends. It poisons everyone around you. It hurts. It's, it's not a good thing. And that's just the beginning. See, unforgiveness becomes poisonous. But then it evolves into bitterness. Unforgiveness evolves into bitterness. And then it continues to evolve. It continues to morph. And it morphs into resentment. And you're almost done now. Resentment then evolves into you being numb. The infraction may have been caused by then, but the evolution was allowed by you. The process from unforgiveness to being numb with your spouse was allowed by you. How heavy is the weight of unforgiveness that some of you are carrying towards your spouse today, church? It will limit you. It will hurt you. It will drag you down. It will break your marriage. It will break your children. It will break a future generation, the legacy that you're to leave. And yet we decide to hold on to it because it feels so good. You know what I'm talking about? It hurts. But how many of you know when you're numb, even pain is a welcome feeling? When you're numb, sometimes even pain is a welcomed feeling. Some of you are numb today. Unforgiveness will impair you. It will hold you back. It will limit you. And here's the, here's the, here's the worst about it. Unforgiveness will lead you to justify your own unfaithfulness in whatever area that might be. You'll feel justified. Well, my wife isn't doing this for me, so I'm going to take care of this myself. I mean, that's her problem. I'm justified. Well, my husband's not taking care of this, so that means I'm going to do this. Or, well, my wife's not doing this, so I'm going to do this. We begin to justify our own unfaithfulness because of our unforgiveness that we harbor in our heart. This was never God's intent, church. Amen? I mean, I'm a little fired up about it. It makes me a little angry. I'm not angry at you. I'm angry at the strategy. I'm angry at the one who lays out the strategy and ensnares over half of the marriages in America today. In church, out of church, doesn't matter. We're all prey to this strategy because we're all victim of unforgiveness. It makes me angry. It makes me upset that we don't put up a, a better defense. I'm trying to teach you this today. This is how you defend it. This is how you build this type of fortress around your marriage because marriage is not only a picture of God's faithfulness to us, it's also a picture of God's forgiveness for us. So forgive each other. Forgive one another. In your marriage, forgive your husband. <laughs> forgive your wife. In your relationships, forgive your friends. Forgive those people. Some of you, some of you have just a really hard time with forgiveness. And I get that, right? Because let's be honest, forgiveness is kind of unfair. 
I mean, am I the only one? Can I get a hand like raise here? Does anyone else feel like forgiveness is a little unfair? Like you hurt me and then it's on me to forgive you and you get to walk away? Like that's not fair. I'm the only one who feels like forgiveness is unfair. I'm harboring unforgiveness at you right now. It just doesn't, it's just, and it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, and, and maybe you've looked at it like it's, it is unfair. Why should you be the person to forgive them if they're the one who hurts you? You're the one who got the pain. They're the one who gets to walk away in freedom. But listen, when you choose to forgive somebody, you're releasing them to do, you're releasing them to God. And allowing God to do in them what only He can do in them. See, we talked last week about trying to fight our own battles. Remember that? We clenched our fist and we walked and we said, God's trying to call in an, an airstrike on our situations, but He can't call in an airstrike on our battles when we're holding on to the battle and have our little muskets right here and we're holding on tight to the situation. Same thing with forgiveness and unforgiveness. Right? We think we know better than God. And so we start plotting our revenge. They do something against us. Your husband, your wife does something against you. And you clench up, you tighten up, and you start thinking, how am I going to get back at them? How am I going to get through this? And we start holding on to these things. Now, of course, we're praying, God bless them. God love them. And, and God, you know, this and this. And God's like, yeah, get out of the way. You're holding on to the situation. But once again, when we surrender to forgiveness... We surrender that to God when we forgive somebody. We are releasing that person to be handled by God. And until we release that person through forgiveness to be handled by God, God has no obligation to do anything to them at all. Because you're, you're trying to take it. Okay, our big boy, you take care of it. Take care of it then. But when we say, I forgive you, I forgive you, we release them to be handled by God. And I would also say this, when you forgive, it also releases God to work in you. It releases the person to be dealt with by God, and it releases you. It releases God, rather, to work in you. Those of you, know, those of you who, have, who have forgiven somebody, you've held on to something for a long time, then you forgave them, you are happier. You are healthier. You are more fulfilled. You are filled with more joy. You'll even be better physically. Forgiveness is the equivalent of a full-body detox. It eliminates all the poison. I was talking to one of my friends this week at Starbucks about, about this detox that they were on. And my wife and I did a, a detox a while ago. And I just want to put this out there. It was gross. <laughs> and I'm not going to get vivid with it. But the stuff that is inside your body, when you see it outside your body, you're like... I wish, those are things that, I, that cannot be unseen. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was in my body. Like, how did that fit in my body? What in the world is coming out of my pores? This is so, and you're detoxing, right? And it smells strange, and it looks gross. And, and if you've never detoxed before, I'm not talking about drug detox, okay? I'm not talking about, like, last year was, a, like, you know, addicted to drugs, and I detox. I'm just talking about, like, a normal body detox, right? Things come out of you. Poisons come to the surface. This is what happens when we forgive. It's the equivalent of a full-body detox. It eliminates the poison from within. So the real question isn't, should we forgive? It's, how do we forgive? I want to give you three ways. I wish this was a, an acronym. I wish it spelled something. It doesn't. Um, but I wish it did. It would have been a little more catchy, I guess. But it just is what it is. Um, number one, how to forgive. Number one, decide. Let me hear you say the word decide. decide. Um, 
how many of you know this is truth? You'll never forgive anybody if you wait to do it when you feel like it. Ain't nobody ever feels like forgiving somebody anytime, right? Like, like nobody. You know, I feel like forgiving someone today. Can somebody please wrong me so that I can forgive? No, you're not going to. Don't wait until you feel like it to forgive somebody. Choose to obey God and his word and forgive them the moment the infraction happens. The moment the infraction happens. The pain is still going to be there. It will initially not subside, but God will be released to handle them, and he'll be released to handle you. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. (laughs) I don't want you in your car ride home today to look over at your husband and just say, Honey, I forgive you. Your husband's like, For what? Well, seven and a half years ago. Now, whatever you're going to say next is just not good, right? Because he remembers seven and a half minutes ago. That's the duration of the lifespan of a memory in a man's head, okay? Right? I'm not, I'm not saying you need to call up your, the people that you've hated for years and be like, hey, I'm releasing you over to God and forgiving you. That's not what I'm talking about, right? You're going to start a world war here. See, that's horizontal forgiveness. Horizontal forgiveness is when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm sorry, and you say, oh, I forgive you. That's horizontal forgiveness. What I'm talking about is vertical forgiveness. I'm talking about that you forgive them in your heart and you release them over to God, but you don't need to breathe a word of that to them until they approach you. This is the same with your spouse. And the moment the infraction happens, listen to me, church, the moment the infraction happens, you decide then and there, I've forgiven them. Even before they ask. And don't play, the, don't play the God card. Don't be like, I'm forgiving you right now. Even though I don't feel like it, I am forgiving you. I'm deciding, just as the pastor told us to. Don't do that. You just wasted it. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. All right? You just ruined it for everybody. I'm talking vertical, vertical, vertical. Number two, number two. Oh, you know what? I want to make another point on that. Where do we have, where do we have an illustration of this? Remember Jesus Christ on the cross? Remember what Jesus said? Father, please forgive them, for they know not what they do. Vertical forgiveness. Jesus could have horizontally said, all right, guys, I hope this is making you happy. This is what forgiveness looks like. Right? No, he didn't do that. He didn't shove it down their throat. He didn't shove forgiveness down their throat. He just forgave them. He just forgave them vertically. Number two, if number one is decide, number two, continue to decide. (laughs) Number two, continue to decide. You cannot forgive truly without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's too hard to do on your own. So pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to give you the strength. This is why in Scripture, Jesus, his disciples, have a conversation with the disciples, and the disciples say, Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that God's forgiveness is eternal. Eternal. Eternally forgive them. Continue to decide. The moment that you have forgiven somebody, we know that that forgiveness has a little bit of a due process, right, in our minds, right? And so when it comes back up again, how much you're still, you know, a little, you're frustrated with them, you're angry or whatever, you, you, you just catch that thought by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you say, I've given that over to God. I've given that person over to, to God to be released from me and released into God's hands, continue to decide. We continue to choose to forgive until the matter is fully absorbed by Jesus Christ. And lastly, 
Lastly, number three, obey. Number one is decide. Number two is continue to decide. Number three, simply put, is obey. God's word tells us in Luke that we're to pray for those who do wrong against us. Pray for your enemies. How many of you know that's your husband or your wife sometimes, right? Pray for those who do wrong against you. That'd be my husband. (laughs) That'd be my wife. We're to pray for them. Just a quick question. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you pray for your spouse daily? How many of you? Don't raise your hand. The ones who did, you're super holy. Just the rest of you don't. (laughs) How many of you pray for your spouse daily? Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God would give them wisdom. Romans, it tells us to bless people who hurt us and not to curse them. Here's a practical step for you. (laughs) When you forgive a person, don't hold over their head what you forgave them for. And then don't go tell everybody else how great of a person you are for forgiving them what you forgave them for. That's called gossip. And you're a horrible person. (laughs) Can we just say that? If you gossip, you're a horrible person. Stop gossiping. And listen to me. If you're a husband who talks bad about your wife behind her back, you're deplorable. How dare you? You are to encourage her. As we learned last week in Ephesians chapter 5, you're to surrender and submit to one another. You're to have their back. You're to get underneath them and lift them up and encourage them. And rather, you're tossing them under the bus. Why? Because you want to look better? Stop gossiping. And if you call it forgiveness, then you've released them over to God. And if you're gossiping, then you've not released them. And don't expect anything to change in your relationship. Don't. God has not been released to save anything. If you gossip about your spouse, forgive, forgive, forgive. Decide, continue to decide, and obey God's word. Release God. Hebrews 10.30 says that vengeance belongs to God. God will repay your debts. God will repay and settle the cases of his people. Let God pay for the injustice that has been done to you. And don't take up the case.